Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 214 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I am in Chiang Mai, Thailand. I'm with Bob. They call him Mr. Bob. Yes, all of my <laughs> students call me that. I really like that. I have been Mr. Bob for many years. I've actually been working with kids for almost 10 years now. Um, I first started my second year of college. I've done a bunch of different internships that took me from Italy to Germany, and eventually it took me to Taiwan for three years. Nice. So, but is, is Bob Press? Is that yeah. him? Okay. Press. Press. Like the cat says, purr with us. <laughs> there you go. Like a true, true teacher. Um, <laughs> like, where are you actually from? I'm from California. I'm from the Bay Area. I'm actually from Gilroy, California, the garlic, garlic capital, capital of the of world. The world. Yes. I've been there, actually. Yeah, I was there for the garlic festival. Yes, that is the only thing that my town is known for, the garlic capital and for the outlet malls. Yeah. And I am very happy to have left Gilroy. No, no offense to my hometown, but like... I am so glad to have traveled the world and seen so very much. That's okay. Anybody listening to this from Gilroy, like they they know it sucks. Yeah, like nobody yeah. there is you know dis- yeah. disillusioned thinking that very it's like, like the, the best the, place. The people that have stayed there, I I pity them. <laughs> they have done nothing very good with their lives. Yeah, and it kind of sucks because I think a lot of people from other countries. Is, They'll hear, oh, California. Mm-hmm. It must be amazing. It must mm-hmm. be surfer, you know, paradise. It must be, you know, just mar- like martinis on the beach. Mm-hmm. But it's not not like that for most of California. Right. That's very true. Although I am very close to Santa Cruz, and I absolutely love Santa Cruz. It is a very beautiful town. Um, and yeah. <laughs> All right. So you grew up in Gilroy. Yes. And then what made you start traveling? Well. Because I wanted to see the world. Like when I was in college, I got this internship opportunity to teach swim lessons in Italy. And I was like, heck yeah, I want to do that. Three months in Italy for, I think it was $800 total. Um, yes, I jumped on that immediately. And then after I graduated, I got to do that same internship one more time. And that's when I did early childhood education in Germany for four months. And that really started a lot of things for me because that's um, when I realized I was good at working with kids. After that, I didn't really know what kind of job I wanted to do, so I went to work at an Army CDC, an Army Child Development Center in Seaside, California. And my trainer there, she was the one that introduced me to Bev Boss. And she is the most wonderful woman I've ever met. She... uh, she is the reason why I am so passionate about education. She is the reason why I want to start my own school. Um, she has been. She has over well over forty years of experience under her belt, um, and her school is the Roseville Community Preschool. You really got to check out that school. It is just absolutely amazing. Just absolutely. It is. It revolutionizes the entire idea of a school. Um, there are two keys to success is to create an environment that supports learning but does not coerce it and their second key to success is they require parents to volunteer for one day out of every week so that means that there's a bunch of adults in one area, there's a bunch of adult supervision and there's a bunch of 
adults that are nearby professional early childhood educational staff members. So adults are constantly working with other adults, they're con- constantly learning new things. And this school, it is just, it is packed with so much good material. <laughs> so, w- wait, the, the parents of the students have to volunteer one out of five days? That's right. a lot of work. Yes. But it is well worth it. <laughs> Okay, I mean, I can see that, like, if you can get the parents to agree to do that, it would yeah. it would work. Yeah. So everybody kind of self-selects almost. Yes, yeah. um, definitely. Talking to the mic. Oh, oh <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, all right, so passion, okay, so you were passionate about teaching, and yes. then you ended up teaching in Taiwan for a while? Yes, for three years. Um, I taught English as a second language. I done a bunch of stuff with the, my company, which was Tutor for You. And I did commercials. I did created a bunch of lessons using um, just basic PowerPoint lessons. And I was their demo god. <laughs> I was one of the best at selling demos to students. And the reason is because I just, I always genuinely cared about my students. You know, that's actually really funny because I, I, I was actually losing kind of hope in teachers because hmm. every teacher I meet I mean and to be fair it's usually you know at a bar on a Friday night or something hmm. they're just getting smashed and they tell they just complain saying how much they hate their job that they, hmm. you know like that they love the kids but they're annoying and like they just hate the system and the school and you really got to see it done right again check out the Roseville Community Preschool you can look up Bev Boss B E V B-O-S. Look it up on YouTube. She has a 2020 interview that she did in 1991. And there's also a tour of her school. And that will give you a very good idea of her teaching philosophy and her school as well. Because really, it's a very hands-off way of teaching. Really, you have to do very, very little. Like, the parents practically did nothing. And the most... The most beautiful, the most beautiful thing I saw at this school was a game of dodgeball. It was um, play with like um, first, maybe fourth grade students. I don't know how old they were, at least eight years old or something like that. And many schools are actually starting to ban dodgeball because too many kids get hurt, which is one of the worst things that you could do for more than one reason. But at this school, of course, they allowed dodgeball. And when I went there, the kids all wanted me to be on their team. And I was like, I'm actually really not good at dodgeball. <laughs> I can't throw very well, um, et cetera, et cetera. And you're a big target. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, no, 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 please, play with us, play with us. And there were three times when a kid got hit in the face and started crying. And immediately, immediately, there's another kid, arm around his shoulder, taking him off the field and showing genuine compassion for his classmates. You know what? That's a truly a good point because instead of just trying to avoid every single uh, negative consequence, you know, mm. of people ever getting hurt, mm. it's much better to let them get hurt in a controlled environment, like exactly. with a rubber ball, you yes. know, and teach the life skills it takes to recover from that. Mm. Because you know, when we try to protect, you know, kids and, and not even just kids, like university students, mm. you know, like at this in this society now where nothing bad ever happens, everyone's in the safe space, Mm -hmm. they can't ever go into the real world. Risk is an integral part of this school. Children are encouraged to risk every day. They're encouraged to risk like a hundred times per day. Like one thing they got, they got a zip line. They got a zip line that's maybe, um, the bottom of it is maybe knee height, maybe waist height. And in over 40 years, in over 40 years, 
Not one single child has fallen off that. There's only one person that has fallen off, and that was Bev Boss herself. I was going to say it was going to be you. No. <laughs> All right. So what do you think of living in Taiwan? Um, I really like Taiwan, but I think Thailand is so much better. Okay. Like in Taiwan, there is so much work stress and stuff, but in Thailand, everybody is so chill and relaxed and happy here. I mean, it's a beautiful country. Yeah, I definitely love it as well. So you do you t- teach... Did you ever teach at a school in Thailand or just online? In Taiwan, yes. And that was like the seven worst months of my life. I taught at a Bushiban and I don't really want to go into that. That was just like the exact, the polar opposite of what I wanted. Okay. So uh, here you teach online? Yes. For what company? I teach for Sprout and I would love to put a referral link in the show notes if I can. Yeah, sure. Um, Because I actually, I genuinely like this company, and that's saying a lot. I've worked with a bunch of different companies. I've been in this industry for many years now. There is a surprising amount of crap that's out there. I mean, like in America, you see like the Rosetta Stone. You think that outside in other countries there might be something comparable, but there really isn't. Um, Like a lot of um, companies um, teach in sort of the Chinese way, which is based very heavily on memorization. It's sort of trying to teach English in the Chinese way, which doesn't work. Um, kids need to play with it as a child ought to. They can't just memorize everything. Um, you need to encourage creativity and creative writing. So as an uh, English teacher online, like, can you set your hours or do, you, do yeah. you have to teach certain hours? Yeah. Yeah, it's very easy to set your hours. That's another thing that I really love about this industry. You choose whatever hours you want to have open, and those are the hours that you'll get classes for. I currently teach maybe 20 hours a week. Okay. And can I ask how much they pay? Um, I get $23 per hour. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, and you can do that while living in Thailand. Yes, while working on my businesses. That's amazing. If you wanted to, could you work 40 hours a week? Yeah, definitely. Because then, I mean, that would be like... A pretty good like yeah. salary. Yeah, like, definitely. <laughs> yeah, you would be making a, a pretty decent salary, especially considering just how cheap it is to live here. Like, my friend, my best friend in America, <clears throat> he has a room that's about the same size as my current room, and he probably pays probably $1,000 per month. Or I pay um, like 7500 baht. I'm trying to convert that into U.S., so le- less than $300, maybe like $270 per month. And I got, I got everything that I need. Um, I'm very stoic in that way, too. And I, I love reading about stoicism, too. Yeah, and I think it's a, a great way to f- move to Thailand, even if you have, let's say, no skills and you know, no business skills, mm-hmm. no ideas of what you want to do. But you're like, oh, I, I need money. I need to do something kind of part-time while I either work on my business or learn a new skill. Exactly. Teaching online is a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. uh, so if you guys want to check out the show notes and use uh, Bob's referral link, go to travellikeabosspodcast.com slash – I should just look for episode 214 and it'll be in there. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into Airbnb then? Well, I first came here because of drop shipping. It didn't work out as well as I thought it would. Um, so I switched full-time to Airbnb. Like, What was your experience with dropshipping? Well, I did the eBay dropshipping method. I did that, I think I stopped in around March or April. And I 100% blame myself for that. I was juggling Airbnb <coughs> and dropshipping at the same time, and I wasn't doing a, a good job. My feedback dropped below standard 
because I canceled too many items that were out of stock. And that is totally my fault. Um, and I understand why that company did not do so. I, I went from an anchor store with like 5,000 items and they demoted me down to a basic store, um, which for those who know means that I got hit with um, a per listing fine of like 20 cents or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. Okay. So it sounds like it was doing well. Yeah. But then you kind of let the ball drop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And definitely, I definitely still, I know that this business model works. I got plenty of friends that still do drop shipping and are very successful with it. So what's funny is uh, one of the talks at the upcoming Nomad Summit is this girl named Joanne. And she has a huge EBA dropshipping business. Giant. I think it does a million dollars in sales a year. And she, uh, her talk is actually about... Um, treating it like an actual business. That's very true. Because <laughs> I, I think it, it's one of those things that seems kind of so easy and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you don't really think of them as real customers or real products because you're kind of just arbitraging, you know, from one place to another. And then it's very easy to just kind of just let it let it slip. Yeah, I've met Joanne before. She's an amazing person and yeah, she is incredibly successful. Um, also, Jonathan Lien, I met him um, in San Francisco, when I met David Vu for the first time, he's also incredibly successful with his dropshipping store. I would love it if you could get him on to your show, too. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, they're actually going to be teaching a, a workshop on uh, eBay dropshipping cool. after the summit. Anyway, the way I started with Airbnb, um, I started it in a very safe way. Um, and also, it was partly because of my lovely wife. She, When I first met her, I actually I met her... Um, this is our two-year anniversary in two days from now. <laughs> that I, I met her on January 12th, and shortly after I met her, she mentioned that she was really passionate about hotels, that she would love to open up her own, own hotel. And that was perfect, because I just learned about this Airbnb business model, and I wanted to do that. So the way I started is I started with the very first condo that I got in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And while... I was I was still teaching, and I was doing drop shipping, and I started doing Airbnb. Whenever the room sold, I would stay at my girlfriend's place, um, and yeah, I would just I would teach at her place too. Oh, that's great! So you had your condo just kind of for personal use, mm-hmm. and as an experiment, you're like, all right, well, I'm gonna list it. Mm-hmm. If someone books it, I'll stay at her place. Mm-hmm. If no one books it, I'll stay here. Exactly. That's great. <laughs> that, was a, that, was a, that was a great way to start this business. And over time, um, I slowly got more properties. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's literally zero risk because you, exactly. you already had a place. Exactly. And it's, it's a very nice place. It's still one of my favorite places, and it's one of my best properties. Um, in the course of a year, it netted me a total return of about 30%. Let me pull up that number. Yeah, that one room got me 62,000 baht total in profit from one year. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 And it's just, it, I mean, it's one of those things where I remember when we first had David Vu on the podcast talking about Airbnb arbitrage, a lot of people just thought, like, it's, you know, like, that sounds too simple. Like, you can't rent a, a, rent a room, like, rent a place, and then just re-rent it on an Airbnb for more. But people are willing to pay for it. Well, it is important to be very smart about it. It's very important to do your homework and find the right properties, and it is very important to tell the building what you're doing beforehand. And in David Vu's course, he has a bunch of really good tips on how to do exactly that. Um, When you are first 
getting started, you probably don't have any feedback. So it, it's definitely it's going to be harder. And when I first started, I did not tell the building what I was doing, and I definitely do not recommend that at all. Because if you don't do that, you're basically sitting on a ticking time bomb. Because at any minute, um, you could basically lose everything, and you either need to move back into there, or you need to, or you would lose your security deposit, which would hurt. Um, and Oh, yeah. When you are first getting into it, you need to make sure that you are very serious about what you want to do. You need to tell them that I'm going to clean this room very regularly. And also tell them that after one year that my property is going to be better maintained than a person that stays for a long term. I mean, people that rent for one year, I mean, when they get that room back, it's not necessarily clean or spotless. In fact, one of the owners that we partnered with, she said that our our rooms were cleaner than the rooms that she stayed that stayed for one year. Um, and he knows the numbers for that. I don't know the statistics for that specific fact, but yes, statistically speaking, short-term renters, short-term leases um, produce fewer messes and damage less property than long-term rentals do. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that. I mean, it's, it almost sounds counterintuitive, but I think when someone's staying somewhere for a long time, they're not necessarily you know, hiring a, a maid to come you know, every two weeks. Exactly. They kind of just like let things kind of pile up mm-hmm. and kind of just let things break down. Mm-hmm. While if it's a new person coming in you know, every week or every two weeks, mm-hmm. you're basically you know, resetting it to, to zero again. Mm-hmm. And you're catching anything that as it happens. Mm-hmm. And um, with the second property that we got, we actually we got four new condos all at one time. Um, well, close to all at one time. It was actually three yeah, all at one time. And yeah, like right as we were getting three new condos, the owner of one of our condos realized that we were doing it on Airbnb. And that... That was scary. I, I will say that. Um, I went for a very long swim after that. Um, I was really surprised I went 20 minutes straight just doing freestyle. And that is that, that was a personal record for me. Um, and But eventually, I climbed out. I put myself in her shoes. I told her that this is not illegal. A lot of people in Chiang Mai think that Airbnb is illegal. It's not. We've talked with lawyers about this. It's not illegal. There are some things you need to keep in mind. You need to keep in mind that it could potentially be an immigration issue. And that's the only way that the law could hurt you in this regards. You need to make sure that you fill out a TM-30. You just look up a TM-30 on Google, you will find an article from Perfect Homes that explains it very well and in a great amount of detail. You need a cop... You need a a picture of their passport, their entry visa, and their TM6, which is that white piece of paper that everybody gets when they enter. And you can get, go online and fill out all this, this paperwork online so that you don't have to go to the immigration office every time. Um, and if you're doing this, and if the owner knows what you're doing, then it's a great business model. Yeah. I like it. So I like how you really illustrated the point that you need to talk to the building and tell them yes. what you're doing. I think every time someone listens to episode 136, which is the one we had uh, David Vu on talking about Airbnb arbitrage, everybody would listen to him say the words, 
you need to tell the building what mm. you're doing. And people imagine him winking and <laughs> just <laughs> like covering his butt. But I think, you know, he actually meant you need yeah. to tell the owner what you're doing. Definitely. Definitely. And now that I have really good feedback, it makes it so much easier. I have hosted over 1,000 guests by now. I think the number is like 1,200 by now. And over 300 have left reviews. I don't remember the exact number for that. Maybe 330 or 340. I don't remember. But over 300 have sent reviews, and I still have a 4.8 average star rating for all of my rooms. And there are some rooms that, like, I, I kind of regret buying, but that's just it's part of the business. I mean, you find the good pea pods, and you cut the bad pea pods. <laughs> yeah, like it. So... I guess one of the questions is, if all it takes is renting a place, I mean, and it, I actually remember thinking, Chiang Mai, I mean, the way it's set up is one of the most ideal places in the world to do mm-hmm. Airbnb because everything comes furnished. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. You know, and you have a, you have a mix of tourists, of semi-long-term you know, mm-hmm. digital nomads and expats. I mean, you have like a constant influx and... There's not that many month-to-month rentals. There's a lot of places for three months or six months or one year, but mm-hmm. there's not that many places that are willing to to rent for one month or mm-hmm. for two weeks unless you just want to stay in a hotel. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of makes it the ultimate market. Mm-hmm. My question is, if everything's kind of set up and you don't have to buy furniture, like in you know in LA, one of the big expenses is they they sign a a contract for an apartment it has to be for a year. And then mm-hmm. they have to spend six grand, you know, buying furniture. I would recommend maybe ten grand just to yeah. be safe. And it was a lo- it's a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. But here they come furnished. Yeah. So, like, what's to stop you from just having five hundred units? That's a very good question. One reason is just I want to take this slowly. I don't want to just suddenly explode. It is a seasonal market. There is low season, and that is like I I barely broke even last low season. I think it was worse than it will be this year because of a couple of different things. Um, I was trying Wheelhouse for the first time in March, and that was probably the worst time to experiment with new technology because that is an intelligent pricing website which is supposed to price your properties to be competitive with other, other places. Unfortunately, that was pricing my properties too high, and I got... I think I got less than 50% bookings for that. Actually, I think I still managed to get 50%. Let me check. Um, and you do need to spend some money on furnishing. Like for the average price is like 10000 to 20000 baht to furnish it, which is practically nothing compared to America. You said 10000 to 20000 baht? Yes. So it's like 300 to $600. Yes. Yeah, because I think that's a lot of the places – come kind of sparse they mm-hmm. come furnished but they're not they don't look nice in photos they don't pop exactly yeah. um, and definitely um, you need to hire your own photographer too uh, but actually well you don't don't let that stop you don't let that stop you because definitely like there are, it is really easy to start with this I started by taking my own photos and then later I hired this photographer that I met at Tawat Dang if you've ever heard of that it is a Thai nightclub, and he just took. He, he was just a guy that was taking photos of guests there, and he, I just looked at those photos and was like, "These are really good photos." And he was friends with my now nephew, my Thai nephew, and yeah, we hired him to take our rooms, and those photos look so much better. 
and that has increased the value of my properties by so very much. Yeah, I mean, pictures really do sell a place. Yes. You know, especially, I mean, so here's a funny thing about Airbnb in, in Chiang Mai. I always tell people don't book on Airbnb because it's more expensive. Then but what? Then getting it, like getting a local place. Yeah. However, pe- there's not actually an option because I tell people come for three, minimum of three months mm-hmm. and then use like perfect homes or something mm-hmm. and get an apartment. It'll be cheaper. Mm-hmm. You'll have a better experience. You'll have more time to explore the city. Mm-hmm. But 99% of people don't listen. They come for one month and they're like, well, there's no other option. I'm going to use Airbnb. Because some of my first thoughts are like with Airbnb, that's the cheapest listing that I have there. I'm also listed on Booking.com and Agoda.com. I also am listed on Expedia and TripAdvisors. Don't use TripAdvisor. It is surprisingly horrible. Like with TripAdvisor, they take a 40% commission. That's insane. Yeah. And it's really bad service, too. They have a really good robot that's really good at censoring any of my messages. So if I'm ever saying, like, um, hey, let's meet here or here. Let me give you directions. No. Instantly blocked. <laughs> and I get a message saying, if you keep talking to him about this, we will block your listing. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I actually remember looking at Pfizer's vacation rental service. I think What is it called? Key something? I don't remember. Turn key? I don't know. Maybe. Whatever. And I was like, this is expensive. Yeah. I was like, this is insane. Yeah. And I think I was lucky. I somehow stalked my guy. <laughs> and I found him off of TripAdvisor. Mm. And, yeah. and he was like, yeah, I'll give you 40% off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, like, with Booking.com and Agoda, I charge more because they also provide a much worse service. Um, Airbnb, I mean... If you really want the cheapest place, then go to a hospital. I do not provide the cheapest place. And if you want to just stay for a room, I really cannot offer you the best price. You definitely can find a better place for um, one month than by going through me. But if you want to stay for a week or two, then yes, I can offer you a very good deal. Well, here's the thing is I think people are willing to pay more money for convenience. Exactly. And quality. Yeah. And like, and just having, just knowing that it'll, it'll work, mm. and being able to see the photos, and just being like, all right, it's it's easy. It's mm. I, you know, I'm uh, traveling, I'm at home, and I need to book something in Chiang Mai. Mm. I don't want to take Johnny's advice. You know, go there for four days, look around in person, and stay for three months. I want to go last minute, <laughs> and I want to book something on the plane. Oh god, the there bus. are so many people that go last minute. It's so annoying. And they're like, okay, I need a place for a month in January in high season. Yeah, like, exactly. And, and, I, I, and I want to play low season prices. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Like, it's on you guys. If you don't want to do that, yeah. and there's plenty of people. And here's yeah. the thing is, like, I can try to warn you to not do that, but at the end of the day, mm. 90% of you are going to do it anyways, so mm. we might as well service it mm-hmm. and make some money from it. Like for me, I came here for a week and then I found my condo within that week. I went through to a bunch of different places. I found like my favorite condo and yeah, that that's what I did. And also like not to talk too much smack about other companies, but like with Agoda and Booking.com, they offer much worse service. They offer, um, for me, they offer no host protection. So if a guest makes a mess or damages the room, I need I need to take a security deposit in cash before they arrive. Airbnb, on the other hand, have an amazing customer service. When a guest makes a mess or damages something, they actually provide me with help with their insurance program. So that's great. So hmm. 
I guess that's a, a tip as well is if you want to book a hotel for one or two nights, go ahead and use Agoda. But if you're booking a place, like especially like a private condo. I, I think that you should only just never use Agoda. <laughs> Like I have it there just so I have my listings on more websites, but honestly, like I've gotten so many complaints from Agodas and their customer service that they are they are really hard to get a hold of. And as a host, I have no phone number I can call when I need wow. help. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, Booking dot com at least they have a phone number I can call when I need help. Agoda, no. <laughs> All right, you know, here's the thing: is it's funny because it's not really their model to mm. deal with private uh, renters. Their model is to deal with hotels. Mm. So I'm sure if you're a big name hotel for the Holiday Inn, mm. you can get in touch with, with Agoda. And there was there was one. I've only I've only ever turned away one guest, and they were through Agoda yet through Booking.com in some weird way. And he for some reason thought that the name of my listing was the name of the building. And I have my directions posted on my listings, but for some reason he didn't get those list those directions. So he got horribly lost, and he started complaining to me a bunch. And I, when I got to the door, I was just like, you know, I could just tell you to go find someplace else. I mean, he was just being so super duper rude, and I am easily one of the nicest guys that you will ever meet. In over one thousand guests, I've only ever had to turn away one guest. Oh man. Well, actually, uh, so it's funny is um, in my blog post on johnnyft.com about how to find apartments in Chiang Mai, I used to recommend a site called Nomad Rental because they're one of the few places that let you rent for one month. However, recently, one of my friends, Anastasia, she just told me a horror story that they booked with them like months in advance and they just lost their booking and they showed up at like 11 p.m. There's no... Like there was, there was no, oh, <clears throat> like there's no booking. The rooms are all full, and they're basically like, yeah, you know, too bad. Mm-hmm. And they emailed these, you know, um, nominate rental. Didn't hear back for five days, and then they wouldn't refund the fee. Mm-hmm. So terrible customer service. I'm actually have to take them off my <laughs> my list. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, people are kind of stuck with uh, Airbnb. I mean, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's a little bit more expensive. It's there's always going to be a premium for this service. But I think people are just happy to pay for it. Like, would you rather have good quality service or would you rather have the lowest price? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, people always kind of want, want both. <laughs> but of course, it's like choose course. one, right? If you really want to go towards the path of being an entrepreneur, you've got to eventually realize that there is no free lunch. Yeah. Well, so um, I guess here's a question is, can you kind of walk us through the process of starting a new kind of... A, a, a new apartment listing like do you, like so, how do you, how do you look for a place how do you set that up no we're very lucky and i have enough um friends who are real estate agents that it's actually very easy because um there are a bunch of agents that are trying to unload these rooms and there are owners that are open to airbnb so they will contact me with rooms every now and then um, or i'll just float out to them that i want more rooms etc and it's pretty easy for me if you are just starting out the longest and um, hardest part is to f- do your homework and find a good place. Find a good place that's in a good area for a reasonable price. The, and one tip to keep in mind, um, how I price my rooms. I take the rent, divide it by 25, so that's about an 80% booking rate, 25 days in a month. So take the rent, divide by 25, and then times two. So the goal is to try and double the rent in 25 days. And 
that's your target price range. If you meet that, you're doing really, really well. If you're just starting out, you want to price very competitively. You want to price very low. The first five reviews are the most important. Um, and yeah, just do your homework and finding the right place is the longest and hardest part. But once you get there, it becomes a lot easier. And I would recommend that you have your own primary place and fi- have another way of making money w- until that first property becomes profitable. You should expect one or two months of going in the red. It probably won't take that long. It'll probably turn positive a lot sooner than that, but you should. it is better to be safe than sorry. Okay. I like it. So you find the place, and then you uh, then you spend a little bit of money kind of just making it look nicer? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you got to um, spend ten to 20,000 baht to furnish it, hire a photographer, or if you feel confident, you can take photos. I mean, the, the most important thing is to get started first. So and, what are some of the things that you spend the 300 to $600 on? Um, just furnishing whatever is not there, just artwork. Um, oh, there's a list of things that you need. Like if your place has a kitchen, you need a fire extinguisher. Well, actually, you, just, you need a fire extinguisher no matter what. Um, you need a smoke detector if your room doesn't already have one. Not every room has a smoke detector. Airbnb really wants you to have a carbon monoxide detector, but they're almost impossible to find unless you order them online. Um, and, yeah, just a bunch of other little things. Like, I actually I have a list right here of all my one-time expenses. Oh, one other tip I could give you is don't buy high-quality towels. You should think of towels as a semi-disposable commodity um, because eventually, like I started out by buying really nice towels and eventually somebody will use it to clean off their makeup and they will permanently stain it and then nobody else will want to use it. So I've bought fake flowers, lamps, plates, bowls, towels, um, paid for the photographer. The photographer that I used was 2,500 baht, which is not bad, especially that's, compared to America. That's what, $65, 70 Yeah. Um, rice cooker, ironing board. Why a rice cooker? Um, Asia, baby. <laughs> Everybody loves to cook with rice. Yeah, but people eat out in Thailand. Um, there's a lot of people that want to cook. I'm honestly surprised by that, too. I, like, it's so cheap to eat out all the time. I really don't know why there's a lot of people that want to cook. Okay. I mean, I, I agree having like, 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 that, a, like that's a, definitely, a pot pan. Th- that is definitely something that you need. You, if, you, if you have a kitchen, you should have everything that they would need to cook anything within reason. I mean, definitely a rice cooker is a must-have if you have a kitchen area. Really? Yes. I, you know what? I wish I didn't have this rice cooker because it takes so much, so much room on my small countertops. <laughs> but I happen to use it to make broth. I, I make bone broth in it. So actually, it works out, but I would not expect my Airbnb to have a rice cooker. I also had to pay for painting the dirty walls. Um, I had to... Actually, I've bought, bought a couple of new mattresses because um, I got... A few bad reviews because the mattresses were too hard. So in one room, it's a two-bedroom with three mattresses. So I had to buy all three all-new mattresses. Wow. How much were they each? Um, I think that was 30000 baht total. Let me check. It's $1,000 total. Yeah. Yeah, actually, when I moved into this place, the when I the mattress, luckily, before I moved in, I, I laid down and like just took a few minutes to kind of roll around. And I realized that half the springs were collapsed on one side. 
And luckily, she was nice enough to agree to replace the mattress. And actually, I was mistaken. It was ten thousand baht total for three new mattresses. No. Yeah. <laughs> They're only a hundred dollars a mattress. Yeah. We found a we found a really good mattress shop, and we got a deal because we got so many mattresses all at once. That is hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> and they are they are good medium quality mattresses. It's not something that you should blow your whole budget on because also a lot of Chinese guests like a f- more firm mattress. Like I was surprised when I went into the ma- mattress shop that like at least sixty percent of the mattresses I felt were hard as a rock. Even some that were ten, twenty, or even thirty thousand baht were still hard as a rock. I mean, it's better for your back actually to have a, a firmer mattress. I don't know. I am not a doctor in that regards. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you ever throw out your back, you need to sleep like on the floor on a piano bench. Yeah, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. So, so um, aside, so then the, I guess the next step was you spent you know three to five, three hundred, six hundred dollars hmm. making the place. Airbnb livable. Yes. And I think that's a good point is I think everyone actually should actually stay in their Airbnb for mm-hmm. at least one or two nights. Yes. To make sure everything works and to see what's missing. Mm-hmm. And make sure everything is comfortable too. I mean, if you could stay there, then that's a really good standard. I mean, definitely there's always there's always a certain number of guests. I, I call that the less than 5% group. There's always a certain number of guests that will find something to complain about. Um, and it's usually less than 5%. Um, there's, and, and yeah, whenever, whenever that does happen, number one, always listen. Listen to whatever the guest has to say. Feel their pain. And I really love Gary Vaynerchuk's advice on the best customer service advice he's ever gotten. It's one word, care, period. <laughs> if you care about your guests, it will show. And after you listen to them, then apologize. Apologize for whatever went wrong. It's not, and remember, it's not about you. It's about them. They don't care about what you did. They only, they're only in this kind of pain right now, and this pain hurts. So whatever it is, apologize for something. Um, definitely not saying that you should lie, but apologize for something. And then number three, do something. Do something to fix the problem. Say, I'm really sorry that the room was too dirty. I will send my cleaning lady right now. I'm really sorry we were out of trash bags. I will send somebody to give you more trash bags, um, etc. Or if you have multiple rooms like me, I'm really sorry that this room isn't working out. Let me move you into a different room. Or I have a couple of friends that have other rooms too. And that can be an option too. Yeah, I love it. That's a great, some great tips. Mm-hmm. So you spend the money, you, you know, you test it yourself and make sure everything's working, mm-hmm. and then what's the next step? Um, you list it on Airbnb. I mean, the, the website is extremely easy to use, which is another reason why I really like Airbnb. <laughs> it is the easiest website to work with. Um, all their instructions are on their website. They change every now and then, too. So I, I can't really say, like, do this, then that, because it might be different by the time you see it. Um, but they are really easy and really straight. Everything's on the website. Okay. I love it. So I, I guess like some people were afraid that as a foreigner, you know, like uh, renting out a bunch of Airbnbs might kind of be a little bit like in the public eye. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever worried about that? Um, not too much, really. I mean, like um, I – yeah, not, not, not too much. I mean, the people, the owners of these rooms, they know what we're doing. Um, it is important to keep in mind that the condos that I've chosen, 
their their primary business is for long-term rentals and hotels their primary business is for short-term rentals so hotels really don't like us they want us to go away and um just just keep that in mind i mean um i don't have pictures of the outside of my buildings and that's really it i don't worry about any in any other regards Okay, that definitely makes sense, and it's been like worth the risk. Yes, very much so. So, how long have you been doing it now? I've been doing it for two years now. Well, actually, April of 2019 that will be my two-year marker. I've, I started in April of 2017, and at the end of 2017, I made a total of three thousand dollars in net profit. At the end of 2018, I was really surprised when I saw this number. I made a total. Of, let me get the exact number here, $14,030 U.S. dollars. So that was an increase of 467%. Wow, that's amazing. Right? Yeah. And then how much did you make f- like last year or kind of monthly now? Um, it re- it's very seasonal. Like last month I made 100, the, the total company made 121,000 in total profit. My take from that was 83,000 baht. That's amazing. Yeah. $83,000 or baht? Baht. I was like, what? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, in my Excel spreadsheet, all these numbers are in Thai baht unless I other- note otherwise. Okay. Uh, so um, the profits, re- I mean, like high season is really big. The, in December, I made 121,000. In November, I made 50,000. That's total profits for the company. And in October, I was down to 9,000. So definitely, like, there is low season, there's middle season, and then there's high season. Yeah. And high season definitely makes up for it. That makes sense. And for March and April, you should be considered lucky if you just break even. Yeah. And, that's, and actually, I got, surprisingly enough, I got a higher booking percentage in March than I did in February. But I made significantly more money in February than I did in March. Oh. Like in February, my average booking rate was 53%. Occupancy, but I made eighty-three thousand net company profit in March. I had sixty-seven percent average booking occupancy, and I actually lost like seven hundred baht total. Okay, but at least you, you got to keep the place for for the next month. Exactly. That makes I, sense. I, you definitely you need to save some of your profits from February in order to weather the drought, which is March and April. That makes sense. Hmm. So for all of two thousand eighteen, do you know how much you made in total from Airbnb? Yeah. Um, as I said before, my total company profits were 14,000 U.S. dollars. Uh, so you made 14,000 U.S. dollars last right. year? In 2018. In 2018. That's nice. This is like a nice side business. Yeah, that's like half a teacher's salary in America. Yeah. Which is kind of sad, but really awesome, too. Yeah, and this is for something that you're able to do while you're still working your other job. Exactly. This is something that you, that's, you know, I mean, how, I mean, how hands-off is it or, or are, are you actively working? For me, business? it's very hands-off. My wife does most of the management with the properties. Okay. She um, manages the cleaning ladies. She handles most of the messages. I still handle messages every now and then because um, I feel like it. Um, but yeah, and I definitely, I want to get to the point where I can eventually hire a VA mm-hmm. to handle messages all the time too. Um, I also, I use Guesty. Um, and 
That's a really good service that automates a lot of my business. It's a little expensive, but well worth it because I have a 100% response rate within one hour because if I don't respond within that one hour, it will automatically send my, my busy message so I can still watch a movie and not have to worry about it. Um, or I could go to sleep and not have to worry about it. Like that, my busy message will just say, um, thank you for your interest. I am sorry I'm either busy or asleep right now. My normal hours are from 1 to 10 p.m., et cetera, et cetera. And I give a bunch of answers to common questions, and yeah. Okay. That's a, a smart little hack. Yeah. That way, yeah. You, yeah. That way on, on Airbnb, it says, like, <clears throat> average response rate 100%. Yeah. That is definitely a must-have. <laughs> um, you definitely need some kind of an autoresponder for your messages or have a VA to do that for you. And you definitely need to have something that automatically prices your properties. Um, Guesty does that as well. And the way Guesty does it is you just program a couple of rules into Guesty, and they automatically adjust your prices every day. So I have, like, if there is a vacancy within 30 days, um, lower the price by 20%. Because at that point, um, it's better to make a little money instead of no money at all. And if there's a gap... Uh, like a three or four day gap, again, I'll lower the price by 20%. Because, again, it's better to make a little money instead of no money. Oh, okay. I actually, I never really thought of Airbnb as dynamic pricing. Yeah. I always kind of assumed, you know, people think of a price and they just set it and forget it. And, well, I pretty much have. I have been, thanks to guests, yeah, I pretty much have set it and forget it. I mean, every now and then I'll be like, um, um, I'm still not getting enough bookings. I'll lower the price a little bit. But I always have to be careful because I know that my auto price will lower it again. So I need to be very careful about that. And also, one thing I really liked experimenting with is I really liked experimenting with giving really large discounts for people that book for one week, two weeks, and an entire month. So I do 30%, 35%, and 40% respectively for one week, two weeks, and four weeks. Um, and that has ensured that I get significantly longer-term guests. Yeah. So with the four weeks, I guess that I mean that's pretty much that's pretty much a month. Mm. So twenty-eight days to be exact. Yeah. yeah. So you basically you, you're paying for a month's rent, um, which normally you, your formula is mm. you you figure out twenty-five days and then you double that. Mm-hmm. So even giving them forty percent off. You're essentially still making those, you know, those extra five days are guaranteed that normally might be vacant. Mm. Uh, you're also making the couple days, you know, because it's 28 versus 30 or mm. whatever it is. So it still ends up being like a decent amount of profit for you, right? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. And I think from a Airbnb user's point of view, I really like it when I when I when I book a place. Mm-hmm. And I see forty percent off. Yeah, because then I feel like I'm getting a good deal. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I'm like, okay, I can, I'm happy to pay this amount for a month. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm getting a good deal, and it usually is a pretty decent deal. Right. Like it's not a bad deal. Right. So, and also yeah. for guests that stay for longer than a week, we also give them one free cleaning every week too. That's so nice. We'll yeah. change their towels. We'll change their bed sheets. And clean the room. You know, I think that's really nice because I remember I stayed at a place in Prague for three weeks, mm. and I remember in the in the booking they wrote all these things like um, free breakfast, free you know all the stuff, mm. and then the first day was beautiful. Mm. And I can imagine that if I was staying for two days or one day, 
I'm like, this place is awesome. Mm-hmm. I got here. There was a, a like a fridge full of like fruit, yogurt, like cereal. And then they just never refilled it. They never mm-hmm. came to clean. And in the mind of the owner, he was probably like, oh, thank God. I don't have to do anything for a month. <laughs> yeah. But from my point of view, I'm like, oh, like I'm here for a month. Like mm-hmm. you need to come clean the place yeah. or you have to like, I mean, or do something, you know? Yeah. And definitely we've never had a perfectly silent guest or, or at least it's, it's very rare. Um, we are we are here all the time for our guests. Whenever they have needs, we always try and address them as soon as we possibly can. We're not always the fastest, but we do our best. <laughs> um, what else was going to say? I forgot. Well, I think this is a very viable kind of second business. Mm. And the right before we got on, you got me thinking. I really like my condo. Mm. I like. I love this location. I love this specific unit. Because there's no obstruction for my view. Mm-hmm. So it really feels like I'm in the middle of nowhere. And you're really close to a golf course, right? Uh, I, I'm, I don't know. There might be one, but it's like it feels like I'm in nature. Even though yeah. I'm five minutes away from Neiman, like the, the main area, and five minutes away from the old city. I love this specific unit, especially because this specific unit is decorated by this Australian woman that like really took time to make it feel homey and feel nice with like nice comforters and nice sheets. And I don't want to lose this unit. So you got me thinking, we should Airbnb out this unit just so I can have it for when I want to move back in. That sounds an amazing idea. I would love to do that. And I will take good care of your property. I will make sure that everything that you care about is well-maintained. And yeah. So how would that work? Like, would we, would we talk to the landlord together? Or like, how, how does that yeah. work? Yeah. Um, if they are skeptical like we'll tell them our history we'll tell them i'll show them my feedback score and worst comes to worst we could always just offer them an extra security deposit like an extra one month security deposit and that would be enough and usually just by offering that they will say okay wow this guy is really serious i really trust this guy a lot more and that will be enough you don't even need to pay that extra security deposit just offering it would be enough Okay. I think the only annoying thing about this particular building is to get in on uh, downstairs, you need to have your fingerprint registered. Ooh. Then... Is that a no deal? That's pretty much a deal breaker right there. Yeah, crap. I, I have heard of somebody doing it. Like, they have, like, a silicone thumbprint oh, that God. they give to people. No, that's so annoying. Uh, yeah. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well... Rats. Rats. <laughs> I think this unit might not work out. But... I, 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 let's just hope that it's still around. No, mm. Nobody bent this place out when I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but th- that's a good thing to, to look out for is mm. ease of going in and out of the unit. Mm-hmm. And also it's important to remember that if at first they say no, there is a way to get them to say yes by just showing th- to them that you are very serious about this, that showing to them that you really care about their property. Because at the end of the day, they bought this condo to make a return on their investment too. They're in the same boat as you. They are just another business owner that wants to make a return on their investment. So you just need to demonstrate that they will get that. Yeah, I like it. Have you thought about possibly buying a unit i have but i don't really like the math for it like i believe in the future of technology a lot i think that eventually 3d printing is going to drive the price of homes way way down i just have no idea when now thailand is a bit behind the technology curves and say america um 
But here is the math that I would do. I would basically take the total price of the condo and figure out how many years do I want to um, hold this property, like how many years do I expect to um, pay off that mortgage, and how by, by that price, how much would I need to charge per month and per day? So uh, I think I accidentally lost this information. I really wish I kept that. Like say it costs... Um, Two million or four million baht. Like, actually, four million baht would be the price of some of our condos that we um, rent out. So about a hundred twenty thousand dollars. Right. Four million baht, and then divide that by um, five years, ten years, and fifteen years, and then you get the price per year, and then divide the price per year by twelve, so you get the price per month, and then divide the price per month by another thirty, so you get the price per day. And then you can figure out how long you would need to hold this property. Would you need to hold it for 5, 10, or 15 years? If you, if you can make your return within 5 years, then yeah, maybe go for it. Bear in mind that for that same um, 400,000 baht, you could buy 10, or you, you could rent out 10 or 20 other condos and have them making money a lot. You could have significantly more properties that are also making money. Yeah, I, I've I've done the math as well uh, and looking at places to buy, and it still makes sense. Hmm. You know, it would on average it would take about twenty years just to break break even on the rental prices because mm-hmm. it's so cheap to rent here, mm-hmm. and it's a condos are depreciating depreciating asset, mm-hmm. especially in Chiang Mai where they're just building new ones all the mm-hmm. time. And definitely you want to get a new condo as well. You want to get something that is less than five years old. Um, We um, have a couple condos in this one building. And in that one building, the building itself, I think, is 10 years old. And a lot of the rooms specifically are very hit and miss. We have some rooms that are very old. And actually, um, this guy's repair crew screwed him out of one million baht. 30 grand. (laughs) Yeah. And we helped him realize this. Like, and this was also a really interesting story, too, because um, a window fell from the 11th story and hit some guy's car that was below it. Now, we were very lucky because that guy had very good rental insurance, so they didn't really care and they didn't um, come after us for that. Um, but after that, we contacted the owner and his repair crew so that they would repair the window for 30,000 baht, 1,000 US. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, that's crazy. There's no way one window costs that much. And one of our other owners, um, she told us about her repair crew that was able to do all the repairs for 4,000 baht. So a little over $100. So from 1,000 to less than 10% of that. And, um, and and also the first crew, they wanted to lock the window so that it would never open again. Um, and I just thought that was a horrible idea too. Um, and, oh yeah, I almost forgot because also <coughs> the first repair crew, they did not s- install an extra safety guard rail for the window too. Um, and this should be required because without it, this, this window fell. Um, it's just like an extra rail that's so the the rail is extra wide for your window, and yeah, that was not installed to, and now now it is. All right, well, lost to think about, lost to learn. Hmm. Um, 
and and also just remember stuff happens <laughs> it's just another cost of doing business as ray dalio would say and i absolutely love ray dalio if you have not read his principles yet please read his principles but another one thing he would say is it's just another one of those it's just another one of those costs of doing business yeah and it's better to to start doing something than exactly. just sit on your butt yeah exactly like the worst financial choice you can make is just having your cash sit in cash <laughs> Or having it sit in a savings account where you get 0.01% of a return on your investment. Well, what's actually funny now is that there's a lot of online savings accounts that are starting to pay 2.25% interest. Oh, my God. Tell me, which ones? The the one I use is called Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Okay. And it's incredible seeing this. I mean, I I think uh, the economy is turning another way. Okay. So uh, Bob and I actually met at the Invest Like a Boss meetup. It was the first one ever for the Invest Like a Boss podcast. Uh, what did you think of the event? I loved it. I mean, it was filled with so much good information. I really love the guy with all the storage units too. I mean, again, that was a guy like he encountered a great deal of hardship and problems, and he still keep on going. Like, problems happen. So what? Now what? <laughs> yeah. Kevin Shi from Hong Kong. Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> I loved, I loved his speech. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cool. And it was cool hanging out with everyone in person, uh, mm. seeing all the people in Chiang Mai who are you know, starting to look into investing money and kind of just getting to that next level. Mm. Yeah. Uh, also, I think it's cool that – so did you start as a podcast listener or how did you find David and me? I, well, actually, a really good friend of mine. I pretty much owe everything to him. Like, as I was leaving Taiwan, he told me about your podcast, and he told me about the four-hour work week, and he told me about dropshipping with David Vu all at the same time, like, pretty much as I was leaving. And when I first heard about eBay dropshipping, I thought, this is too good to be true. I don't believe it. Um, and, but then I tried it, because after you buy the course, the... Uh, startup cost to getting your eBay store started is zero dollars. I mean, that's the best investment you could really make right there. Um, and yeah. after that, after I made a few thousand dollars by selling stuff by eBay drop shipping, I was like, okay, I know this works. I want to go to Thailand. I want to go to Chiang Mai. I want to hunt. <laughs> you know, if you if you hunt, you catch food, you survive. If you don't. Then you go hungry, and I want that. I want that hunger to force me to continue to move upwards. Yeah, I love it. And uh, if you guys want to know more about David's eBay dropshipping course, listen to episode eighty-two of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. We had hmm. him on there. Yeah, and it's funny is because on that episode, I was so skeptical of it as well because <laughs> I was like, "There's no way you can make money like selling crap on eBay from other stores." <laughs> So I was hard on him on, on that episode, <laughs> and now we've become really good friends, and mm-hmm. I've now met a ton of people who have had success with his course, mm. and also now with his uh, Airbnb and arbitrage course, too. Mm. Yeah. So shout out to David Vu. Yeah. I got nothing but love for that guy. He is amazing. And again, like I wouldn't have come here if it wasn't for, for you guys. I wouldn't have met the love of my life, who is absolutely the most wonderful and sweetest person in the entire world. Well, I'm happy for you. Congratulations. And I love having listeners come on as guests so if you guys are listening get working start your business and mm-hmm. let me know when you start hitting some some success i'd love to have you on the show because i think this is really inspirational for people who are just starting out who mm-hmm. are still working a job and they don't think it's possible to create a side hustle or an online business it is so mm-hmm. uh share this with a friend you know maybe someone who's a, a teacher mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> or someone who 
you know, you think who wants to start a hotel but mm-hmm. doesn't have ten million dollars to start one. Mm-hmm. This is a, a good inspirational episode for them. So thanks again for coming on. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, do you hang out on social media or anything? Um, Facebook is the best way to get a hold of me. Although I, with Facebook, when I use it, I get addicted to it. So I pretty much don't use it to pr- protect myself. But Facebook is the best way to get a hold of me. I am Bob Pruss. That is P-R-U-S-S. Um, and yeah, you'll see a picture of me and my lovely wife in our wedding photos. It was very sweet and amazing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, glad to have you on. And uh, thank all of you guys for leaving all these great five-star reviews of the podcast uh, on iTunes or kind of wherever you listen. You know, if you're listening on your phone right now, I think you can kind of just double click um, the, the photo and you can leave a review right there. It helps a lot. It helps other people find the podcast and you can help change some lives. So uh, definitely please take the take a minute to uh, leave that review because it really does help. And if there's one last thing I could say, I just I really want to say don't let fear stop you from starting your own business. That is extremely important. Don't let fear stop you. Take measured risks. Know the risks, know the reward, and take appropriate action. Let's do it. All right, guys. See you all next week and hopefully I'll see some of you out at the Nomad Summit (laughs) bye bye thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast if you want to hear more including the bonus how to choose the perfect niche episode join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com see you next week and remember if you want to travel like a boss you need to be your own boss so start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of